Welcome to True Vine Church Community's Sermon of the Week. Our hope is that this message would spark and sustain revival in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information about this podcast and other ways to connect with True Vine, visit us at blessphiladelphia.com. All right. So I want to thank you for joining us, whether you're in the room or watching online. Uh, we're grateful that we can join with people online. I'm, looking, I'm glad to be here this morning. I've been a, on the road a little bit lately, and it's nice to be home. And uh, I'm looking forward to starting a new sermon series today. So for almost a year, we were um, studying the church in Ephesus. Whoops. We were studying the church in Ephesus, and uh, we were in Acts and Ephesians and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and last week we were in Revelation looking at the letter to... Uh, the church in Ephesus that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John. Today we're starting a brand new series called Jesus in the Bible. This series is going to take us the better part of a year, I mean roughly 40 weeks, but we're breaking this up a little bit. So for instance, the first, well, until Christmas, we will be focusing on Jesus foreshadowed in the Old Testament. So we'll be going through various stories in the Old Testament. The Old Testament's really long. It's about two-thirds of the Bible. So, you know, spoiler alert, we won't get through the whole Old Testament in the next three months, okay? Sorry. Actually, you're probably relieved to hear that. Uh, We won't be doing all 39 books of the Old Testament, but we're going to pick some uh, significant stories from the Old Testament that foreshadow Jesus, and we're going to focus on those, and we're going to see where we find Jesus foreshadowed in the Old Testament. We'll be starting that today. We will land right on the prophecy of the virgin birth from Isaiah the week before Christmas. What timing. It's almost as if we planned this. And then we'll transition to the New Testament with the virgin birth the week uh, of Christmas, and then we'll go through the New Testament where Jesus is manifested, and we will conclude uh, the Gospels right around Easter when Jesus is resurrected, and then we'll get into Jesus explained in the epistles into the spring, and then the summer will take us through Jesus revealed in Revelation, and shortly before this time next year, we'll have a new sermon series. I don't know what it'll be. Uh, I know it's going to be called Get Your Act Together. Uh, Just kidding. That's a joke, everybody. Okay. So, but today we're starting this new series called Jesus in the Bible, and we're going to go through the Old Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles, and Revelation in about 40 weeks. So I want to just kind of introduce the entire series really quickly, and I want to help us understand how we look at the Bible before we get into week one, which is Jesus the Creator. The way that we look at the Bible is really important if we're going to understand it correctly. If we think that it's just an antiquated book of old stories, and many people believe that the Bible is actually just a collection of myths, kind of like Aesop's fables or uh, Dr. Seuss or something like that. But if we believe the Bible as it's in, it was intended and put together, it's actually God telling us about himself. Now, if someone asked you to tell them about yourself, if someone came up to you and said, hey, tell me, tell me about you, tell me what you're into, how would I know you? If someone asked me that question, the first thing I would say is, well, the first thing, if you're going to understand me, the first thing you have to know about me is I'm a Christian, and that is the most important piece of my life. Everything is based and built around that. You know, my, my marriage is based on that, my family, my vocation, the way I spend money, 
Uh, you know, the way I spend my time is all based on my identity as a follower of Jesus. But the second most important thing you need to know about me is that my favorite TV show is The Office. And uh, as soon as you hear that, you kind of probably know what kind of person I am. Kind of dry, dry humor, sarcastic. I like awkward moments. Uh, I like to create them and be in them. Uh, my favorite episode of The Office is the dinner party where... Uh, Michael and Jan, if you don't know The Office, this makes no sense to you, but if you do know The Office, that's a classic episode where Michael and Jan have everyone out. I'm laughing just thinking about it. My favorite food is chicken wings. If I could watch The Office and eat chicken wings, it would be a great day, dear. Um, I love to go outside. I love to be in the woods. I love to go in the forest. Um, I like candles that smell like tobacco. I don't smoke, but... I like my candles to smell like they do. Um, I like root beer. I don't know. So I'm telling you a little bit about myself. I like football. You know, if I tell you these things, is that a root beer I heard open? I heard a crack open of a root beer. Uh, if I told you enough of these things about myself, you would start to understand what I was like. And that Practice is called self-revelation or self-disclosure. I am telling you about myself. Now, that's actually how we want to understand the Bible. The Bible is God's self-revelation or self-disclosure about him. So I don't know that God has his favorite TV show. If he does, it's definitely not Gilmore Girls. It might be The Office. And, but God doesn't have a favorite TV show. I don't think he has a favorite football team. I don't think he has a favorite you know, chicken wing flavor. But here's what God has given us. He's given us laws that tell us what he's like. He's given us poetry in the Old Testament that tell us what he's like. He, he told us the type of people that are near and dear to his heart like King David. I mean, so if you read through the Old Testament, rather than a list of TV shows and candle aromas and foods that God likes, you find stories, poetry, laws, pictures, uh, structures that tell us what God is like. In the entire Bible from beginning to end is God revealing himself to us. It's God showing us what he's like. And so we want to get our understanding of God and what he's like from scripture. And then also Jesus tells us what God is like. If, you, if you're going to know the Father, you have to know the Son. The Apostle John said on multiple occasions. So the Bible is God telling us what he is like his self-revelation or self-disclosure to us so that we can know God. He uses history, laws, poetry, stories, and more to show us what he's like. And Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. He is not just another Bible character. Okay, when we talk about Bible characters, sometimes even that word character implies that we think it's fictional, like it's a made-up story. Maybe we shouldn't use the word character, or if we're going to use it, we should understand that we are talking about literal people that actually did live, that this is uh, historical, not uh, fictional. But Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. I have a slide that I'm going to uh, put up that's going to display a timeline. This is very simple, but uh, the Old Testament, which spans approximately 2,000 years in writing, not necessarily of well, it does time if you go back to Genesis, but the Old Testament, which spans approximately 2,000 years, is all pointing to Jesus. 
So even when you read through the laws and the sacrificial system, that's still pointing to Jesus. When you read the prophets, they're pointing to Jesus. When you read crazy stories like Daniel in the lion's den or Daniel in his uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this furnace, and there's three men thrown into the furnace, but when they look into the furnace, there's a fourth man. Who's that fourth man? Well, we're going to get to that. But all these stories in the Old Testament, all these laws, all these prophecies are foreshadowing. They're pointing forward to Jesus. Then we get to the Gospels, which is actually a relatively small portion of the Bible, just four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that focus on the life and ministry of Jesus. So I have the, the cross up there just symbolizing the crucifixion, which is like the central point of the Bible. And then after the Gospels, you have the epistles of Paul, which are written over the course of roughly 60 years. and Well, it's not just the epistles of Paul, it's all the New Testament epistles, so John, Peter, others. They are looking back at the cross and they are explaining the cross. So everybody that's ever lived on earth, which I believe is roughly 20 billion people over the course of history, is on one side or the other of the cross. And so as God has woven, woven history together, those that were before the cross are looking forward to a Messiah. Those of us that are after the cross are looking back to it, which is a reminder that the cross is an actual historical event. It did happen. It's in history books. I mean, to deny that the crucifixion took place is not really historically uh, wise or reli reliable. Now, the Bible is this knit-together story. It's cohesive. It's coherent. There are parts, honestly, I'll just tell you, after 25 years of studying, there's still parts that confuse me. I haven't nailed this whole thing yet. But the more I study it, the more I find this is brilliantly put together. I mean, it really is woven together in a masterful way. In John 5, Jesus is talking to uh, the Pharisees, and they're saying, they're giving Jesus a hard time, and they're saying, well, Moses said this, and Moses said this, and, and Jesus says, if you believed Moses for real, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Moses wrote about Jesus. Is the word Jesus or the name Jesus in the writings of Moses? No. But you have a sacrificial lamb in the writings of Moses. You have a priesthood in the writings of Moses. You have a creator in the writings of Moses. And as Moses wrote these things or compiled these things, he was talking ultimately about Jesus. So today we're going to look at Jesus the creator. We are going to go back to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start at the beginning. We believe uh, generally that either Moses wrote Genesis or it was people who were developed and trained by Moses who compiled Genesis, but we kind of the Bible even itself refers to Genesis as the writings of Moses. So whether Rose, Moses wrote it with his own hand or whether his uh, you know, disciples and followers wrote it based on what he taught them, we generally look at Moses as the source of the book of Genesis. So let's go to the book of Genesis chapter one. If you have a Bible uh, with you, go there. If you don't, this is gonna be on the screen. We're gonna actually look at three passages today that teach us about Jesus as the creator. Okay, everybody got that? All right, so as we do this, it's a little bit like watching a movie, that, uh, a series of movies. I know I, I'm re really not into Star Wars, but there is a lot of good stuff in Star Wars I've found uh, recently that helps. You know, you, Star Wars is nine movies long, and then there's a couple extra movies that are kind of peripheral to the series, and you get to this, like those middle three movies, the original three Star Wars movies that came out, 
And you see like, oh, the, the prequels are all leading up to it. The sequels are all pointing back to these critical moments. I kind of feel like when uh, Darth Vader says to Luke, Luke, I'm your father, that's like the central point of the whole series. And everything's pointing either up to that or comes out of that. Uh, if you've ever watched a movie and saw something or heard something and said, that's going to be important later, I can tell that's part of the plot line being developed. Genesis 1 is one of those moments. We read Genesis 1 and we're like, that's going to be important. That's going to tie the story together somewhere at the end. So Genesis 1, 1 through 4, and also verse 26, I'm going to read those and we're going to look at these really, really quickly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And then skipping down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So what we find from Genesis chapter 1 is in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That phrase in the beginning, can you repeat that after me? In the beginning. Let's do it one more time. In the beginning. Just put that in the back of your head. We're gonna need that in a little bit. In the beginning. In the beginning, God, the word there is Elohim, which is a term for spiritual beings that applies to God as well as angels, demons, and even you and I. Elohim. Uh, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. It was kind of chaotic. Uh, and so God brings order to the chaos. It says that the spirit of God, in verse two, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We're only two verses in, and we understand that there is a spirit of God. The Hebrew phrase with this would be Ruach HaKodesh, which is Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. We don't know much about the Spirit of God because we're only two verses into the Bible, but here's what we know. He hovers. And I think if you've been in the presence of the Holy Spirit, sometimes it feels like he's hovering over you. We've had moments in worship where it's, I actually feel like, okay, you're just, Holy Spirit, you're hovering over us the way you hovered over the waters. You, you feel him like uh, the New Testament sometimes uses the word brooding over us, the way a mother hen broods over her chicks. The, the Holy Spirit is, we would talk about descending because he's hovering over us. So we know this about the Holy Spirit from the second verse of the Bible. Number one, he's a real entity and a real being, but that he hovers or broods over the uh, surface of the waters. Verse three, God says, let there be light, and there's light. So God speaks. God speaks, and he brings light into existence, and he separates light from darkness. Uh, without getting too deep into this, uh, because I'm not qualified to get too deep into this, but also we have limitations on our time. Uh, those that believe in the Big Bang Theory uh, take it all the way back to uh, this uh, incredibly, infinitely dense point where all of the matter in the universe, every star, every planet, every solar system, every universe is, is uh, in something that's smaller than a marble or smaller than your thumbnail. The whole universe incredibly dense, and because of that density, incredibly hot, right? And then something happens that makes that explode. I mean, what causes this incredibly dense matter to explode? Did it run into something? Well, there was nothing for it to run into, right? 
The only thing that could destabilize something like that would be something like a sound wave. But of course, there's no oxygen, so it's not a normal sound wave because you need air for sound to travel. So it would have to be some sort of, I don't know, like supernatural, miraculous sound, like, I don't know, God speaking, God's voice that cuts through because God doesn't need air for his voice to travel because it's spiritual. And that sound wave, potentially, of course, I wasn't there. I'll talk to Chico. I wasn't there, but something had to destabilize that state of matter, right, to cause it to explode. It didn't run into anything because everything was contained in it. It wasn't disturbed by a sound because, number one, there was nothing to make the sound that was material, and then there was no air for the sound to flow through. So some sort of, like, divine sound wave or some sort of sound wave that we don't have a way to comprehend must have disturbed it and caused an explosion. Well, the Bible says it simply. God said. God spoke. He used a word. And that brought the universe into existence. So I don't know what, you know, I don't know about the Big Bang. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I don't really care. I understand that the universe has a spiritual element to it and that God operates in that spiritual element and God created the world. How he did it, I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I don't know, and I don't need to know in order to believe in him. I just know that he is the creator. He made it happen somehow, some way, and that's the way uh, that it took place. So God called the light day and the darkness night. He actually separates the darkness from the light. And then in verse 27, if you'll skip down to that, God says, uh, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, this, I missed this for years, but when I saw it, it was, it was mind-blowing to me. God says, let us. Who's us? Who's he talking to? Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. It kind of seems like God's talking to God. He's like there's this divine counsel that's going on, and God is speaking to someone, and he's saying, let us make man in our image. So Genesis chapter one starts with in the beginning, and God says, let us make man in our plural image. So this is the question I go away from John, uh, Genesis one. In the beginning, who is with God? Who is with him in the beginning? Well, that takes us to John chapter one. If you guys have Bibles, go to John chapter one. It's gonna answer that question very specifically. John chapter one says, in the beginning, remember that phrase? Repeat that after me, in the beginning. Okay, so John is intentionally reminding us of Genesis chapter one. He's doing this on purpose. And I'm asking the question, in the beginning, who was with God? And John is answering it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So as I read Genesis 1, Specifically, I get to verses 26, 27, let us create man in our image. I'm like, who is with God in the beginning? Who is he talking to? But John answers that question. This is how the Bible's all knit together and tied together. Because John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. 
and the word was God. Okay, the word. Who's the word? What's the word? What are you talking about? Skip down to verse 14 of John 1, just a few verses. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, the word became flesh, that sounds like Jesus, dwelt among us, sounds like Jesus, only begotten of the Father, sounds like Jesus. The word is Jesus. That's a, it's a title for Jesus. So, here's what I conclude from that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and God said, let us make man in our image. Who's he speaking to? Who's with him? John 1, the word was with him, and the word was also God. Who's the word? Jesus. Jesus is the word. So that leads me to believe Jesus is actually present at creation, and Jesus was not uh, just present at creation, he is the means by which all of creation took place. Creation took place through Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Now, we don't come to know him as Jesus. We don't have that title for him as Jesus until the book of Matthew, well into the, the last one-third of the Bible. But we see that he is with God at creation, and it's through the word that creation takes place. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh. It, depending on the translation that you're reading, the, word, the name word is capital W, uh, which is denoting that it's actually referring to a, a deity or a proper noun. So it's not lowercase word, it's capital word. That, <laughs> this is gonna be confusing, I don't mean it to be. The word, word, comes from the Greek word logos, in English, you would spell it L-O-G-O-S. What English word is spelled L-O-G-O-S? Logos. Okay, so in Greek, it's logos. In English, it's logos. Logos. That's not uh, a coincidence. The English word ties back to the Greek word. The logos, the understanding of logos in the Greek was it's a symbol. Well, what's a logo? It's a symbol, right? The, the concepts are tied together, the words are related. So I have a slide that I'm gonna throw up for us to look at that's gonna have uh, four of the most well-known logos that you're familiar with. Okay, the one on the top left it belongs to what brand? Nike. What's that logo called, anyone know? Swoosh, which according to a Skechers commercial is the sound that the money makes when it leaves your wallet when you buy a pair of Nikes, swoosh. I think that's funny. Uh, okay, the top right would be apple, okay. Same sound, though, when you buy an apple, swoosh. Uh, the bottom left would be McDonald's. The sound associated with McDonald's is, why did I do that? And then the bottom right would be Amazon, right, which everyone's angry at, but go ahead and keep ordering stuff from them. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna stop, right? So, whatever. Okay, what we have is we have now identified four major brands worth billions of dollars without a word. We have a symbol. We know what those symbols mean, 
right? Like we, you see that Nike swoosh and you think of certain things. It invokes certain concepts. You, if you're old enough, you, you think of Michael Jordan. You think of Jumpman and the logo of him palming that basketball with his legs spread. You start thinking of basketball, you think of shoes, you think of sports, you think of those types of things. You see that Apple, uh, you see that Apple logo and you think iMacs, you think iPods, that's not even a thing anymore. Those were in and out real quick. You think this is why I have Android, because I'm on a budget. Uh, you, you, know, you see the Amazon, if, if you're like me, you see that Amazon smile and you're like, yes. <laughs> that Amazon truck pulls up and you're like, yes, it's here. It's like Christmas, any day of the year that I want it to be. So all of these symbols represent something, right? There's something behind those symbols. It's the whole idea of marketing and branding is we're trying to communicate a concept in the simplest way uh, and do that. So... When we say that Jesus, Jesus is the Logos, we're saying that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Uh, he's not just a symbol, he's actually an image. He's the image of the invisible God. If you ever asked as, uh, oh, I forget her name, Joan, Joan something in 1995 wrote a song called What If God Was One of Us? Do you remember this song, Joan, what's her name? Joan Osborne, yeah. Joan Osborne, 1995, What If God Was One of Us. Does anyone remember that song? And I'm, I, at that point, I was a brand new Christian. I was like, he was. He was one of us. There's, th- those questions have all been answered. God was one of us. If you ever asked, what would God be like? If God actually was in flesh and blood walking around on the earth, what would he be like? Jesus is the answer to that question. He would be Jesus. However Jesus behaved, that's how God would behave. Whatever Jesus felt, that's what God felt. Jesus is the perfect revelation, disclosure, image of what God is like because Jesus is also God. We're getting into the Trinity. We'll get into that more later. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, that brings me to one final passage in Colossians chapter 1. If you want to go there. I love Colossians 1. We use it frequently here. We look at it frequently here. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, referring to Jesus, says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him All things hold together. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. It's one of the hardest things to explain to your children. God is everywhere. Well, then how come I see him nowhere? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when we see Jesus, we see God because that's his image. Verse 15 says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. So sometimes people will think that that means that, oh, Jesus is the first created being. The problem is that contradicts what we just read in John 1, contradicts what we read in other places like Hebrews 1 and Philippians 2 and other places in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus is not the first created being. That's not what firstborn of all creation means. It's not talking about the order of creation. It's talking about the hierarchy or authority of creation. In that context, it's not so much this way anymore, but in that context, the firstborn child got the inheritance. And it was up to them whether they want to distribute some to their brothers and sisters. 
But the firstborn was entrusted with uh, all of the Father's authority. So firstborn of all creation doesn't mean he's the first thing created. It means he's the one that has the authority from the Father. He has the authority of the firstborn. Not, it's not a chronological statement. It's an authority statement. Does that make sense? Now, that's not how our culture works. We generally, I think, split up inheritances for all the kids. But in that culture, the firstborn got the inheritance. All things were created by Jesus, verse 16 says. All things have been created through him, and they are created for him. Why do you exist for Jesus? Why do stars exist for Jesus? Why do mountains and sunsets and oceans exist for Jesus? There is some debate among scholars about why cats exist, no one can seem to understand their purpose. I think it has to do with the Nephilim and something like that, but cat joke. <clears throat> all things are created for Jesus and all things in heaven and on earth. You know, Jesus created the angels. Jesus is not an angel. He created the angels. Everything in heaven and earth, this is maybe a crazy thought, he created demons. Now, they, when he created them, they were angels, and they rebelled against him, which is why he's given us authority to war against demons. But Jesus created everything visible and invisible in heaven or on earth. Who created gravity? Jesus. Who created oxygen? Jesus. He is the preexistent agent of creation. Every culture's concept of God, whether it's Christian or otherwise, every culture's concept of God or almost every other culture, is tied to creation. They're answering the question, what's all this about? Where did this all come from? I mean, whether you're talking about a gigantic global religion or a small tribal religion, they're all trying to answer the question, where did all of this come from? What is the cause? What is the purpose? Who is the purpose? Who is the cause? Where did the universe come from? Well, the Hebrew understanding is it all came from Yahweh. And as the story develops throughout the Bible, Yahweh has a son named Yeshua, or Jesus as we call him. And that that's the cause and the purpose of creation. And then verse 17 says, uh, in him all things hold together. Not only did Jesus create the universe, he's still actively involved in sustaining it. He didn't create the universe and be like, I'm good, you guys are on your own, and walk away. He is still sustaining the universe. Not only did he create the sunrise, he made sure that the sun rose this morning. He didn't just create the sunset, set it on a clock, and let it do its thing. He'll be actively involved in the sun setting this evening. He's actively involved in your health and your life, uh, your lifetime. He's involved in the details of your family. He knows everything that's going on. He sustains all things, and he holds all things together. Now, <clears throat> it's possible that you already knew all this and you might be saying, oh, I don't understand why this matters. Uh, it matters because it, it actually points to the deity of Jesus. Jesus is God. When we started the, our church here, um, you know, anytime you start a new religious organization, people have questions about its validity. You know, is, we got the question all the time, is it a cult? And they, you know, people would always ask me, is it a Christian church? Which I'm, when you ask me that question, I'm like, okay, you don't really know what you're asking. 
You know, I, I don't know. That's not even, I don't know how to answer that question. So over uh, about a year of answering those questions and having those conversations, I had to boil down how I was going to explain our church to people. And I said, we are Jesus-worshiping, Bible-believing. You know, I tried telling the history of our denomination going back to the late 1800s. None of them seemed to care. <laughs> uh, I tried telling them our doctrinal statement. Most of them didn't understand what they believed well enough to understand what we believed. And I said, if it, we're a Jesus-worshiping, Bible-believing church. If, you, if you're cool with those two things, you'll enjoy this. You'll enjoy our church. You'll fit in. And those are the two primary legs that we stand on. We worship Jesus and everything that that implies. It implies that he's God. It implies that he's Lord. It implies that we follow him. And we are Bible-believing in everything that that implies. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible is inspired. The Bible is inerrant. We believe those, the implications of those two statements. We believe that Jesus is God. The belief that Jesus is God is a necessary central point of Christianity. If you deny that Jesus is God, you have now strayed away from Christianity. People will sometimes say, well, you know, yes, agree to disagree, you're both still Christian. No, if you believe Jesus isn't God, you've taken Christ out of Christianity, I don't know what you have after that. You certainly don't have Christianity anymore. That's what the whole thing is about. The identity of God is not some minor issue in a religion. It's the major issue. It's the main thing. We can disagree on other things, uh, you know, spiritual gifts and spiritual warfare. We can disagree on those things, but who God is is the number one question. So when we disagree on that, we're disagreeing on the central issue. Now, this matters because we want to affirm that Jesus is God. I brought my uh, New World Translation uh, of the scriptures this morning. Anyone familiar with the New World Translation? A couple times a year, some very well-dressed people show up at my door with the New World Translation. Jehovah's Witnesses show up with the New World Translation. And uh, this has happened, so I used to be blacklisted by the Jehovah's Witnesses. They wouldn't visit the house after a really long argument, uh, discussion one time. And then I moved and I was no longer on the blacklist and this is a, I remember one morning they knocked and it was kind of, it was an early Saturday morning and they knocked and like, I'm, you know, we've just gotten out of bed, it's, it's, it's summertime and my son Aiden, being the polite, hospitable person that he is, he hears someone knocking at the door, thinks it's the neighbors, the kids, and opens the door and there's like three really well-dressed people that just want to talk to him about Jesus and he's like, great, I'll bring my dad. And it's a Saturday morning and I hesitate to share this but it's the, it's the real deal. I'm, I'm, I've just woken up, I have not had coffee, I have not brushed my teeth, I'm not even wearing a shirt. And I go to the door, chest hair on full blast, and I know, I'm like, oh no, the last time this did not go well. I stick my head out the door, they're like really well dressed, super polite, you know, I'm like, oh, what do you want? And they're like, Oh, excuse me, sir, we, uh, we're here from the Kingdom Hall. We'd like to, they held their little uh, New World Translation. We'd like to talk to you about the Lord. Like, all right, let me get my Greek New Testament. And I walk off, and, and as soon as I said that, they're like, oh, okay. They, they said this to me. I did not say this to them. 
it's clear we have some different beliefs about who Jesus is. And I was like, thank you for acknowledging that. If only Christians knew that. If only we understood that it's our belief in Jesus that distinguishes us from everything. It's why we're not Jewish, it's why we're not Muslim, it's, it's, it's why we're not atheists, it's the belief in Jesus. So I got out my New World Translation just to see some of the differences. As, as I go to Genesis 1, remember it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. But this is what the New World Translation says. It says God's active force was moving to and fro over the surface of the waters. So not Spirit of God, but a force, an, an energy, not a person like the force, like in Star Wars. Significant difference, right? So it's the beginning of what is essentially a denial of the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Of course, you have to translate it incorrectly to come to that conclusion. I go to the, the Gospel of John. Thank you, Greg, for understanding that. I go to the Gospel of John. John 1, 1, as I just read to you, says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is the translation from the New World translation. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, lowercase g, implying that, well, Jesus was a, like a lowercase g God, meaning there's multiple gods. He's not the God. So just to clarify, I went to uh, their website. This is all things that I've wrestled with over the years. This is from jehovahswitness.org, their website. This is not someone's critical uh, explanation of it. This is their beliefs. Statement number three regarding Jesus. We follow the teaching and example of Jesus Christ and honor him as our savior and as the son of God. Cool. However, we have learned from the Bible that Jesus is not almighty God and that there is no scriptural basis for the Trinity doctrine. Not cool. Now, I don't mean to pick on Jehovah's Witnesses, in a lot of ways I, ex I appreciate and uh, respect them because I think they believe what they believe a lot more strongly than many of us believe what we say we believe. They're out there on Saturday mornings <clears throat> trying to share what they believe is the gospel. So I respect that, but I think they're wrong on the most important thing. And I don't share that because they're the main issue that I want to address, I just, as an example of why this matters, it matters because there's some really close sounding doctrines. They, they just seem like, oh, that's so close. And you, you read enough truth that you stop discerning. Like, oh, yeah, the first part's good. I'm sure the rest of it's good. And we get deceived and we get tricked and we get led away. So, <clears throat> What I'm trying to communicate this morning is, here's something that we cannot compromise on. This is a non-negotiable, essential, essential, central core tenet of Christianity. Jesus is God and Jesus is the creator. You do not have Christianity without that. It's on the first page through the last page. Jesus is God. There are over 25 references to Jesus being God just in the New Testament alone. They fall down and worship Jesus, which means that even the disciples understood him to be God. It says in various places that he is God. Why was he crucified? Because he claimed to be God. That's what got him killed. 
claiming to be the Messiah, which is saying that he's God because that was their expectation. So it's really important to us as a Jesus-worshiping, Bible-believing church, we have to settle this. This is not something for us to debate. This is something for us to accept and defend. Not debate it, defend it. Jesus is God. It's essential. You don't have biblical Christianity without the idea that Jesus is God and that Jesus is in creation. Now, there are many, 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 many groups that do not believe what I've just explained to you. I don't think you can learn all of everything they believe. If you try to believe you'll, to learn every doctrine of this group and every doctrine of that group and every doc, you, you're going to get confused. You're going to get lost. What we need to do is be familiar with what we believe and what the Bible teaches, and then <clears throat> you're able to defend and explain that in any situation that you find yourself in. Does that make sense? So this is what I would like to do, and this is how I'd like to wrap up. I want to pray for us that the biblical concept and the biblical revelation that Jesus is God would not just be central to the Bible, that it would be central to us. That, that means that when we pray, it's okay to pray to Jesus. That means that when we worship, we're worshiping Jesus. That means when Jesus says to do something, whether it's through the Holy Spirit or through his word, we don't question it, we do it. We obey it. If he's God, we're, we're playing with fire if we ignore what he said to us. So I wanna pray that this Jesus is God concept would settle into us. Would you mind standing with me <clears throat> while I pray for us? Jesus, we see you in the beginning based on Genesis 1 and John 1. We see you in the beginning. We also see you in the end. So you're the beginning and the end. You are the word. You were present with the Father as well as the Holy Spirit at creation. And Jesus, it is through you and for you that all things were made, including us. We were made by you. We are made for you, and you sustain us. So Jesus, I pray that this belief that you are God and that you are the creator would be central to our hearts as well, that this would be core to us, that we look to you as God, as deity, as Yahweh in the flesh, that we would follow you, that we would love you, just as it is, all, you said this <clears throat> all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, that the primary command we have is to love you with all of our strength, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and that we would also love our neighbors as ourselves. So we place this belief in the center of our faith, Lord, and ask that you would order all things around who you are as God and creator, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to True Vine's Sermon of the Week. This podcast and an archive of previous episodes can be found at blessphiladelphia.com.